Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Otari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who once lit a guitar on fire on a beach in Mexico. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and you know, after after watching Jimi Hendrix and realizing that you by the time possessions to be free of them, well, listen, by the time Hendrix was my age, he'd been dead for eight years, so I just feel like he was really far ahead of me. And if I'm going to catch up, <laughs> right. I need to start burning everything. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Patreon. It's this website where I if you go to it, I you can s- sign up. I recently up. suffered traumatic brain injury, and <laughs> I don't remember what you're talking about. Every day. Every day you suffer traumatic brain energy. Energy? <laughs> energy, <laughs> yes. That is exactly what Traumatic brain energy. It's... Like, well, I mean, I do access Twitter on a daily basis. So that, <laughs> oh, no. It explains a lot. Uh, anyway. Um Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. You can go there, uh, and if you so choose, uh, support us on a monthly basis. For just a dollar a month, you get access to a bonus episode, a non-Criterion film. We put together a, a, a poll, so you get to vote on what we're going to watch. Uh, the fifth item on that poll is always Kazam, and we've watched it once, and we have come dangerously close to watching it more. But it's uh, beautiful, and we I mean, after it. after like getting through it light once, of the sun. After getting through it once, I actually, I'm down I to watch it more. I don't anymore. hate it. I think it's fine. I, don't hate I actually, like people like like for, we put it on there. I suppose because it's like one of those canonical bad movie podcast movies that everyone yeah, I mean, does. It's, it's it's a punchline, but also I kind of put it on there just because, uh, you know, people talk about it not necessarily in how bad it is. People talk about it because of the Mandela effect thing, right? Right, that's true. That's the other because reason, right? Shazam isn't a thing or wasn't. Well, uh, we've ta- we have talked yeah. about this, and we've talked about and that I, deeply. I, and we I talked still about it on argue that, that it is rather than being primarily racism, it is confusion generated by the fact that why would you name your genie movie featuring Shaq? Yeah, and not and he, put call it Shazam. Yeah, I think it breaks people. I think it breaks their brain. Oh, that absolutely, that absolutely. doesn't make any sense. It's, now it's it is racism when it gets into. Um, yeah, Sinbad yeah. starring in it. That's yeah, that that starts getting weird. That starts getting very yeah. uh, racy, racism-y. Those Sinbad and genies, you know, it's also yes, that is also true. Like, I think like, there's a lot going on there. Like you can you can explain the ra- way the racism by people just barely paying attention to a lot of things from tr- what two thousand years of of history. Yeah, I mean that that's true. And and then again, Sinbad is. There's a lot. There's a lot going on there, and I and I don't think it is fair to chalk it up purely to racism. There's definitely some of that going on there too. But <laughs> anyway, anyway, Kazam is a choice. Uh, it has been voted for once. It has tied, uh, and fortunately, fortunately, uh, lost all of all of its tiebreaker, uh, which I decide with a dice roll. Uh, it, which you videotape for some reason as though that means anything. I have been – I started videotaping it as as a proof that I, I am not just making this decision arbitrarily. And then like after three tiebreaker rolls – and they weren't all for Kazam, by the way. I mean we had other ties. Uh, yeah. But after three tiebreaker rolls, I realized, wait, uh, this doesn't prove anything. It just proves that I that rolled – You were able to video record <laughs> you doing the thing you want? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could have I could have rolled the die on camera four more times, but this is the one I posted because it's the, the correct I, one. Yeah, the correct one. Uh, so anyway, I thought I thought I was doing a transparency thing, and it turns out I was just faking it. So well, you'd have to do it live to to not to, right. to be able to not fake it. You need to be like, okay, well, guys, we're getting on Twitch for the for the fucking dice roll. Everybody, gather around. We need more supporters for that to happen. I, I feel yeah, like we, we've got enough supporters, but I don't think we have enough that 
at least one person would be available 24-7 whenever I right, decide exactly. to do that. Rice, well, that's that's also weird, right? If your supporter base is only large enough for it to be you <laughs> and one other person, like, yeah. at that point, you could just call them. <laughs> right. And be like, hey, Jason, you want to listen to me roll a dice? <laughs> yeah, probably. You'd be like, why are you calling me? It's 3 a.m. Uh, I often do the die roll after midnight uh, for some reason, too. So, anyway. Uh, over there, we do a non-criterion film, as I said. Uh, we watch some, some just a real mixed bag of stuff over there, too. Yeah, the real, reason Kids yeah. AM is not, is not such a... Uh, a bad film for us to watch again is because we've watched uh, Will Ferrell's Kicking and Screaming, which right. is... and um, I was actually replaced by some sort of um, underdemon when we did that. <laughs> I'm no longer Pat. I haven't been Pat for a long time. Yeah, it, uh, it uh, deeply affects really you. It all out there. In a, yeah, it does. In a yeah. very negative way. Uh, but we also watched really great films over there, like Dog Day Afternoon or... Uh, Give me another one. Aliens. There we go. That's aliens. a really great well, yeah, one. I mean, aliens is pretty great. Um, what did we what did, what was the last one before this one? Uh Children of Men. Well, I mean, we watched God's Country, which was amazing, and Children of Men is great too. I mean, yeah. we watched some good movies over there. Yeah. Watched some really great stuff. Uh this month I mean, uh, we've watched Kicking and Screaming by with Will Ferrell, so you know. As of our recording, you know. the most recent the most recent uh, bonus episode over there is uh, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, which is a really fun movie, too. Uh, we haven't actually recorded that episode yet, but I look forward to talking about it with Pat in about Me an hour. Too. So, Yeah. Uh, also over there, for a little extra, $5 a month, uh, we promise to thank those people on air. So thank you to Adam Speakerman and Kevin Little for your $5 support. And... A little bit more above that. $10 a month, we do something that I really, really love. Pat makes a piece oh, of so art based on one of the movies we watched recently. Uh, and they're always phenomenal, and I love them. Uh, and then I get that art printed up on a postcard and write a little thank you note and mail that off to our $10 and above supporters. And we also like to thank those guys on air. So thank you to Michael McGrath and Jason Westhaver for your support at yes, that thank level. You. This week, we are talking about a 1987 American indie film called Border Radio. It's directed by Allison Anders, Dean Lent, and Kurt Voss. Anders, we've seen from before, but in a bonus episode. Uh, on the Criterion, or on the, on the Patreon, we watched uh, Four Rooms. And Allison Anders directed oh, the right, first section of that. Four Rooms, the witches section of Four yeah, Rooms. I forgot all about that. Allison Anders and uh, Kurt Voss, uh, who were actually married for a time, uh, also worked together on Wim Wenders' Paris, Texas, which came out in 84. It's around the same time they started filming this. Uh, this movie took four years to get together, uh, something very evident in... The child actor, who is actually Allison Anders' daughter, uh, who was five when they first started shooting and nine by the yep. time her last scene was shot. And it is very clear that that yep. is happening. Um, the third director and cinematographer, Dean Lent, um, doesn't have a lot of other directorial credits. Actually, he has no other directorial credits, no other writing credits. Uh, but he became a cinematographer uh, in stuff you've heard of, but probably haven't watched. Cool. <laughs> this was his first, uh, but he went on to direct things such as G-Men from Hell, uh, okay, Jack sure. Frost, the uh, the horror oh, movie Jack you Frost. You think I have not seen I know you've seen Jack that, Frost? actually. We've talked about you watching Jack Frost and Jack Frost 2. Which yes. Lentz also uh, also acted as cinematographer for. Anders and Voss also went on to do other work. I don't believe we will see any of it in the Criterion Collection. Um, and I can't... I, I've not seen any of it. Uh, I believe Paris, Texas is actually in the Criterion Collection. So we might eventually watch that. But I honestly don't know for sure. So... Right. Uh... Well, I mean, we'll figure it out. We'll we'll find out eventually. We'll figure it out when we get there. 
yep. if we get there. And if I'm we get to really. through the Godzilla box set that was just announced as number 1,000. Right. Uh, that's a, that's a, a bold choice. I like it. I, I really like it. And I really love that Criterion postponed that announcement every day for a week for some reason. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. It just kept, oh, we'll get it tomorrow. Yeah, tune in tomorrow <laughs> for, for oh, oh, our oh, thousandth oh. release. Like, they, they announced all three or four other titles that were coming out that month on the normal day or the day after. And then, and then waited at least I wonder. four I'm or really five curious. days. I'm, I'm sure someday we'll hear a story about why that happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's also delightful that people like I'm in I'm in some Criterion groups on Facebook, and uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of people very excited about this, but a lot of people just utterly confused. I think a lot of people really don't process. I mean, and this is not this is. I might be very wrong about this, but I think a fair number of people don't process the Godzilla movies where they actually are. I think that's true. I think that's and true. I, and, I, and, I, and I, it's understandable because the format lends itself to being dismissed. Right. Absolutely. And, but that, and all and, of and, the... And certainly later iterations are not the thing right. that the original Godzilla movie is. And all of the American movies that Godzilla inspired, inside and outside of the Godzilla franchise, uh, were not what the original that, Godzilla yes, was. Yes, absolutely. It, it's... <laughs> It is a singular thing in and of itself that, that yeah. spawned a lot. And that happens in other fields. We've we've encountered that before. It wouldn't be the first time. Right. Where, like, you know, it, you know, again, like, you get, you if nothing else, you get, like, the, the Upton Sinclair jungle effect where it's like, right, oh, right, 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 you guys totally just took this in a weird direction here. Congratulations. Uh, which explains the jungle, too, where they are exploring a larger and even worse meat factory. <laughs> uh, yes yes i i actually kind of i kind of want is there a, is there a jungle movie did they ever make a movie of that i highly doubt they it but i don't have, know right maybe as like yeah. a document documentary sort of thing? i don't know i don't I'd know. just be curious about like it's not a narrative like. book is it i haven't read it it is narrative yeah is it it is it's about a it's about a person Okay. Realizing that socialism is the only answer to the nightmare <laughs> that has been created here, right? Right. And the fact that the machine is literally eating people. <laughs> yeah. Like it's. I mean, I haven't read it since high school, but that was my takeaway: was, oh yeah, this is all very bad. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the meat inspecting protocols. <laughs> right. Which uh, is the thing that got changed. Yes. Yeah, so. uh, anyway, back to Border Radio. Uh, finally released in '87. Uh, like I said, they've been working on it for upwards of four years. Um, interestingly enough, they, uh, they were just doing it kind of piecemeal over the course of those four years. They had all graduated, uh, from, uh, from film school in LA and, uh, in 83, they got $2,000 in seed money, uh, from actor Vic Tabak, uh, then they got some money from Voss's graduation gifts in 84. Okay. Good. Then they got a loan from Lent's parents. Uh, then they had, uh, there's a making of documentary on the Criterion DVD. That, that I pull all from the, from the essay. The making of documentary, uh, I think it's Voss is talking about, uh, they had one guy who actually just needed to launder some money, so they, so he sent it through the film process. There was Kentucky oil baron who they decided to fly out to see the production to make sure his money wasn't being wasted. It found out he had just had a stroke. Jeez. Uh, at least, uh, at least at one point they stopped paying their own electric bill, uh, Voss and Anders, and they lived for a week without electricity. In order to put more money into the movie, uh, wow, yeah, and then since they had already graduated, this is not a film school project. They had already graduated. Uh, they edited this film by sneaking into UCLA's film department every night, oh my God, and camping out all night, editing Anders' kids asleep on the floor, uh, staying up. On coffee and cigarettes, 
while they edited. Oh uh, and since they shot it so piecemeal, they were basically they'd shoot a bunch, they'd edit it down, and then from what worked after it was edited, they'd change, rewrite the film on the fly as they went along. We've encountered other films that had a similar process, have we? Not? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. That's not that's not a super abnormal process. Uh though the editing dailies and kind of building building the tower of the film like that is a little different. Uh rewriting yeah, I mean, the fly like definitely. We've definitely is encountered at happened, least but... one other artist that did it that way. It was kind of crazy, but Yeah, it is crazy. Um it's probably a Casavetas thing, really. Probably. <laughs> that checks out. This this film does have a Cassavetes feel to how it's put together. Just you know, a lot of a lot of clear improv. Uh, Cassavetes people were just better trained than the ones who were doing well, and, this. And that's but that I mean that is a, an actual issue. I mean, yeah. like I know that like we are supposed to be able to like after doing this for so long, we're supposed to kind of be able to look at things and get to the heart of the matter rather than just focusing on sort of. I mean. In film, acting is kind of a has a weird place, right? In the sense that it is both superficial and kind of important, you know. Yeah. And the acting in this is real rough, like real, real rough. Um, and that does it does pose a bit of a problem, right? Like it, it for me at least, because like I don't feel like the actors are conveying the message they want to convey to me very cleanly, right? right. On, a, on an emotional fair. level. Um, which you know, I mean, I'm not gonna like pan the whole film, but like that, that's real. Like that's a thing that like causes trouble for me in this, and it probably doesn't help. Does not help that it was shot over the course of four years interacting yeah. either, right? Like, what was our motivation well, two and a half years ago? I don't remember. Well, like, uh, there's one thing about changing as you go in the editing that opening scene, and they they seem to have shot it sequentially too. Oh, yeah, I think so. Uh, so that sure. that opening scene where Jeff's hiding in the closet and the guys are looking for the money, and then and then whoever calls him and says they're going to meet meet at this place, and we never figure out who that was or see him. Right. <laughs> as far as the filmmakers were concerned, so as far as the guy playing Jeff is concerned, Chris D. Uh, at that point, Jeff was not a musician; he was just some guy <laughs> oh, having really? an existential crisis. Yeah. Yeah, who had oh, stolen man. this money for who knows what reason? So, like, yeah, we get all that exp- expository dialogue like twenty five minutes in, and it's really great that we get it because everything's just been confusing to that point. But right, it's it's also delivered very didactically. Um, so so a thing about this movie, uh, sort of. I kind of want to justify its inclusion here. Okay, please do, because I am. I would like to know why. Because it's definitely it's... amateurish in a lot of ways, obviously. But like a lot of film film students in America in the eighties and nineties, they are drawing on influence from the French New Wave and the German uh, new cinema of of like Wenders, who they worked with, and and. Uh, you know, oh goodness, how did I just lose the name of the guy who did like uh, Ali Fear Eats the Soul and Veronica Voss? And oh, I, uh, yeah, I, you're, you, you've, oh no, Adam, you've stumbled upon my Achilles heel. <laughs> yeah, you can't remember names either. Anyway, um, yeah, I know that people have them. I'm just not clear <laughs> on good. what any That's of them good. are. I'm glad that you understand the concept of names. Uh, anyway, um, they're obviously drawing on that influence, but but one reason yeah. I think the Criterion Collection, uh, think of other even recently like Pandora's Box. Pandora's Box is well acted, but it's put together very poorly. It's it's barely strung together as a narrative to begin with, and then the ending doesn't make any sense. But as a snapshot of nineteen twenty nine Berlin. And uh, the existence of this piece could only really be in 1929 Berlin. Right. Uh, it, it has some merit there. Or when we 
talked about uh, Baudu saved from drowning. One of the things the Criterion itself talked about as the reason for its inclusion was that it was Paris between the wars and it was a visual record of Paris between the wars in a in an ever changing city. Right. This was a, a yeah. snapshot of something that that would not be seen again and could not be seen again. So in that regard, Border Radio is a snapshot of the feeling, not necessarily the music, but there's plenty of music here too. But the feeling of the mid to late 80s LA punk scene. This... And I and I assume that's why it was in there. Like I yeah. I truly did assume that that was the goal. The problem is for me is not so much. I, again, there's not really a problem. It's just that like, are there no other movies that convey that feeling in existence? <laughs> I feel like I Repo have Man. seen. I mean, maybe <laughs> specifically L.A. punk music scene, but like, like I have definitely seen late '80s like punk music oriented films like that is definitely a thing i have seen in my life and i mean i and then again because of its kind of ludicrous story it loses some honestly loses some of what it's trying to convey because it had it felt the need to have a frankly confusing and nonsensical story built in which is because well, I, I don't think I don't think it felt the need to have it. It just they were writing it by the seat of their pants too. So right, but like, but that, but what I mean is like, almost I feel like, and this is just me like just throwing shit out here. But I really honestly feel if it had been more of just a meandering look at the scene, it would have been way more re- like personally rewarding. Honestly, right. right? You know what I mean? Like as not quite documentary, but like not also. I mean, this thing suffers primarily because it is a written story and that is written by the seat of their pants. Like, right. It, I think it that's suffers fair. from that. It absolutely suffers from that because, like, people – it. I will say it, it lends it certainly a dreamlike quality, a nightmare yeah. more than a dream. But, like, people just do things and things yeah. just happen from all I can tell without cause or effect. Like – a doesn't necessarily actually lead to B in in this story, honestly. That's like, because that's because why, A was how leading does Jeff to B. Come back. He's... They were A was leading to B, and then they got three quarters of the way to B and realized that they'd rather like that A lead work. to C. Yeah. So yeah, right. And then it gives it this very weird, yeah. to me, I mean, very weird, like dreamlike quality. Yeah. Uh, Much in the same sure. way as Badu or or uh, uh, Pandora's Box. When I say it's a snapshot of an era, I don't mean it's meant to be a documentary. Uh, no, I know. Look at the era, obviously. these. This is a story that takes place within the L.A. punk scene. It's not a story about the L.A. punk scene. Right, and, uh, I, and, my, and the point I'm making is, is that, like, I'm, I am a little bit shocked that a story about the LA punk scene at that time period is not a thing that exists. And not Considering punk. the prevalence of like eight millimeter cameras and stuff. Yeah. Like, is there not just somebody like some almost, other UCLA film student made some, a document or yeah, yeah, I don't know. Almost certainly something exists. I just, I, we've not I, seen I, it. Right. And that, that, that was all I was getting at because like, and also this is fine, but like the, so, the story actually hurts it rather than helps it. And that's a yeah. weird, that's a weird phenomenon to be in because it doesn't happen very often in this thing that we do. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, wow, this would be a lot better if there just weren't a story. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> if it were just these visuals, but without like an attempt to make them into a story, because they're already kind of not a story. Because if yeah. you just sat down and told somebody the story from beginning to end, they'd be like, "Are you high? I think you're high." Because this doesn't make any sense. Um, so I don't know. Like, I still don't actually know why anything happens. Okay, so starting in 1981, and uh, with at least three films, uh, the third released in 1998. There is a documentary series called The Decline of Western Civilization, uh, which was explicitly about the Los Angeles punk scene. Well, there you go. Uh, so so that film, uh, since the first one was shot in 81, uh, it had actually already been uh, 
been filmed by the time this was going in, so they wouldn't have wanted to make that film because they would have already been familiar with that film. Right, and so. and, and I understand that why these the, why well number one, I mean people want to make films. I think I get it. Right, and then also I understand that in, in a really kind of meaningful way, having it not be a documentary also has some value in the sense that like, oh, here's the story that the people from this scene cooked up. Yeah. To a certain extent, it, it, I mean, it has value too. I don't want to imply that this show, this movie, does not have value. It's just that, like, I for one found it pretty hard to watch. Yeah, honestly speaking, like, not in a bad way, not where I'm like, oh god, this is horrible. It's more in the like, I'm watching and I'm like, wait, did I, did I miss a part? Do I need to go back? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of moments where you think, where you that? think. Did I did I miss something? Um, no, I reround the shit out of this movie. I like yeah. over and over like, wait a minute. I don't know why is he here now. How did he get here? Why my, is this uh, happening? My favorite part, and they actually commented on this in the in the making of documentary. Uh, Chris Shear, whose character Chris is the one who uh, sleeps with Jeff's wife while Jeff's out of town, uh, uh, Lou or whatnot. Uh, he. Uh, they filmed a scene in one room of the apartment one day and then like went back like months later to film a scene in the other room of the apartment but the other half of that scene uh oh my god and for continuity purposes said yeah you were wearing a blue flannel uh and he showed up wearing a different blue flannel so so like i mean it's a black and white movie but the pattern changes so Right. So he he's wearing a different shirt when he walks through a doorway. Nice, nice. <laughs> Which you I, know, I, in in watching, I definitely didn't even notice. So it's not. No, like it, I didn't it notice. Super but matters, then again, but... honestly, by the time you're ten to fifteen minutes into this movie, you're probably like, well, yeah, fuck it. Like in terms of like, <laughs> like continuity maintenance, like right. You know what I mean? Like like you, you, there's certain movies where you're like in it and you're like, well, this is just not. This is continuity and like. It's just not a thing I need to continue worrying about as we go forward here. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's fine. I could just start igno- ignoring continuity problems because, like, I have a feeling they're going to be happening a lot. Yeah. Uh, there was there is actually one other connection between uh, the decline of Western civilization and this film. Uh, one of the bands featured in the de- decline of Western civilization is X, uh, who is not only uh, featured on the soundtrack of this film, but uh, one of the band members, John Doe, uh, plays Dean uh, in the film. Uh, so he's, uh, he's in both of them, but, uh, basically, uh, in casting, they approached Chris D after a show and said, Hey, you want to do this movie? And he was all like, Oh, Oh, okay. Uh, and, (laughs) and then he got a bunch of his friends to also act in the movie. So, um, God, everybody like, like the throwaway characters, especially, uh, like, Texacala Jones, who plays the babysitter, uh, is uh, the lead singer of, of a band. Uh, the uh, the girl they keep cutting to, uh, who's uh, like the scenester talking about how great everything is in the more documentary yeah. style portion. You know, she's she's the lead well, that, singer, and that of a just band. makes it more confusing, right? For right. me, like I was like, wait. Now we're in a documentary, right? How when, do, it comes, when it comes to the right? documentary parts, where where it's someone talking about the scene, wholly unrelated to the plot of whatever's going on in the movie, uh, yeah, That's it does really get a disruptive mentally. Too. Yeah. But also, uh, but also in a way where I don't even know if what she's saying is accurate to the actual scene because she's meant to be a joke character too, right? Right, I mean, she's and literally she's also my favorite character in the movie. Yeah, let's be clear here. She is my favorite character yeah. in the movie because she has that closing bit where she's like, "Well, it's just not the same anymore." So I don't right. know, like, right. maybe something will come along in the future. But by then, maybe I'll be too old. Like, how old are you? I forget what the answer was, but it was something just like, "Oh God!" Like, yeah, yeah, this is like twenty-five or something. Yeah, or not even. I, I mean, it's remember. also delightful in that you it's know, just, this is wonderful talking about. Talking about getting old and time passing, and the film's taken four years to shoot, so you know, right, meta right, commentary yeah, yeah. on the process, too. Uh, yeah, this movie's got a lot of good bits 
It's just oh yeah, it does. It absolutely as a whole. I don't know that it really works. Well, it, yeah, well. just it's it, it, the things that make it interesting in some ways are also the things that make it struggle because it's just like well, you know, your movie did take four years to make, and that's a problem. Like, yeah, that that's a problem that has defeated that has defeated great greater uh, in this process, right? Like, I mean, that's uh, well, this took too long. Maybe we just need to start over or something. Like, yeah, obviously nobody wants to do that. But. And then I don't even really want to even talk about the explicit plot of this film because I'm not sure it makes sense. Even I'm sure I miss details, but I'm no, not entirely I sure. It that's makes what I was sense. saying is, but that's a problem, right? Like right. I literally cannot tell you this from it's, beginning to end. I could not just sit yeah. here and recount the plot of this movie. As far as I um, can tell, so. uh, Jeff. And at least two other people, one of them who may be Chris. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Is probably Chris, but I'm not really not entirely sure. Uh, Chris is a roadie. Jeff is in the band. And they stole this money from the other members of the band because they promised to be paid it. Or possibly from a promoter. Because I when think she, it's got to be from a promoter. Yeah, when the, wife, a promoter. when the wife goes back... Uh, to to try and buy off the debt, and the guy says, "Oh, it's been forgiven," and we don't get any more details. And then Jeff's just back in the next scene. Uh, well, well, no, but that's the thing, right? Like, just not back in the next scene. That's the strange part. Oh, Is it wait, like yes. she goes hunting? She gets pissed at Jeff, goes hunting for him down in Mexico, and then he's back. Wondering where she is because they also decided to turn this into a fucking O. Henry story at the last minute. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, they they did uh, pull a punch that they had planned. Uh, and she was going to be dead at the end of the narrative. Oh, God. Thank God they didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very man. Much. That would have been a very, like, that would be a very unearned dark turn on this movie. Like you would, you did not, you did not earn that. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of which, uh, Luana Anders, uh, who plays that wife, uh, is uh, uh, is Allison's sister. Uh, so another, another John trained. Uh, Chris Shear actually is the only I think trained actor in the entire thing, and he was in uh, theater school at US UCLA. Um, at the time. Uh, so, I mean, that doesn't forgive his problems acting in film, but at least he's he's not trained to act in film, and they are different right. animals. Right. So. <laughs> right. But, yeah. Uh, I uh, I mean, another, like I said, this, this definitely has its moments. The scene where she's trying to sell the car and the used car salesman says, if you have $800 in the trunk, that thing's worth <laughs> yeah, the grand. Yeah, it'll be worth it. Yeah. It's a good line. It's a real good line. It's a real great line. There's some, like, yeah, though there's absolutely some good stuff in here. Yeah. There, there is. But then again, you get into this weird thing where it's like, if I string together a bunch of pretty good stuff in a nonsensical way, yeah. what, have I, what have I made? Right, uh, and that is a confusing question to answer. And I guess uh, you know, to a certain extent, that's the punk ethos of the of the eighties. Yeah, uh, and I LA get that. Punk, I get maybe, that. Um, and in that but regard, I, we I, could I, we could compare it to something like Slackers. But Slackers has but a free line, is right? Impeccably done. Yeah, Slackers. But Slackers is is phenomenally well done, and yeah. still has a lot of the aesthetic. Right, right. It, it does. It just it ha- it carries a lot of the aesthetic because. Instead of arriving at that aesthetic via just not necessarily always doing a great job, it arrives at that aesthetic by having a lot of people doing a good job of acting and telling you and like yeah. showing you yeah. that aesthetic. And like, there's just that's just a different thing. Um, there's nothing wrong with this version of it, but like, man, like I I personally kept trying to mentally compare it to Slackers, and like they don't they don't compare well. First they of don't. All. That's fair. They're not. They're not. But be, because this thing does meander a little bit, I kept kind of expecting it to turn into slackers, even though <laughs> it's we, clearly not. We just start following an, an entirely new set of characters. Yeah, kind of. Because like it, it is, it is just disjointed enough that it, it that it felt like oh, at some point this is going to turn into a weird 
twisty turny narrative rather than just a disjointed one. Honestly, uh, even if we had like followed the uh, guys hunting Jeff from that first scene and then come back, got to Chris and, and Jeff's wife when they go to try and kill Chris at her apartment, <laughs> their apartment. Uh, you know, we, we could have still mostly told the same narrative, uh, while following, and it might have even made a little more sense if we had followed the yeah, case actually, and found out why they were trying to kill him from them, uh, instead of the weird, what, phone call or whatever, 20 minutes in. Uh, yeah. You know. I, I mean, I think, what, what year did Slackers come out? Oh, 91. Slackers was, it didn't even start right. filming until two years right. so after that's, this I mean, came out. That's so. the thing, right? Like, I mean... Well, I mean, for good reason. I don't want it to be the same movie either. So, right. No, no, yeah. I know. But what I'm what I'm wondering about is if, like, I mean, the reason I bring that up is that Slackers has the benefit almost of kind of looking back at an era. Yeah. Whereas, whereas this is is contem- contemporaneous with the era, which produces its own set of problems, right? Yeah. Like, and does in other film too, right? Like when you when you start trying to tell. Like make a movie set in the era that you actually exist in. You you already start sort of generating well, problems for yourself. In the documentary and the behind the scenes thing, uh, Anders touches on peripherally one of the main problems I think that we have with the film. She's talking explicitly about Devin, her daughter, aging four years over the course of shooting, and she says, you know, not only you know she's grown. But fashion has changed. So she's wearing her own clothes and she's wearing right. very different things by the time we get to the end. And that's true of all of the society we're talking about, not just her daughter. Right. right? The punk scene in L.A. changed a lot in those four years. I am certain of it. So, oh, yeah, for sure. And it would be impossible. And, like, really, it, it, that, that happens, with again, with any contemporaneous uh storytelling that you do your the the goal is if you if you have the budget to do it is to essentially lock time yeah. you know what i mean like oh we have the budget to freeze time essentially not not outside of our bubble but within our bubble we can pay to make sure that everything stays the same for a year or whatever while we're working right. on this right and they clearly didn't have the budget to make that happen which and we we see other versions of that but the problem is is that like when films try to do what this film is doing, their their solution to that problem is usually make it real super quick. Yeah, and you know they I mean? just like, don't well, have, we'll make sure that it's all done in six to, months to do it super quick. So they're constantly right. so they don't have know. the means to do it quick, and they don't have the means to lock time in in a meaningful way. So we end up with this really really hard version, which is like, well, took four years. Yeah. It, <laughs> and at and which point, like, if you're flying by the seat of your pants, why not just make the movie take four years? Right. Like, why not have Jeff come back four years later and be like, "You're already messing with time as a left joke by, on that, yeah, right?" Exactly. Our first, our first three scenes, uh, each each are sandwiched around a uh, one week later tag, and at one oh, point yeah, the screen that pops up months. that says two or six months, which is wild. Which is actually, <laughs> I said that the the one scene person is my favorite person in the film that, that is my favorite thing in the film yeah, is that, two or six months later that, i'm like wait yeah. that does not a thing so oh, it's so good to a certain extent uh maybe we're reading too deep into this uh i i don't i don't want to i don't want to suggest that this doesn't have artistic merits because i believe it does but at the same time this is kind of like the dancing bear right and the fact that the dancing bear dances is what's good, not that the dancing bear dances well. Right. So, so they created this and they completed it despite all these setbacks. And it is a uh, screenshot of uh, of the LA punk scene, yeah, or the people within it, uh, and that's interesting. Does it need to be done well? Maybe not. But, well, yeah, I know what you're saying. I get it. But I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Because honestly speaking, like, to my mind, I I've, I exist in a very weird place right now. And I don't know if you're going to agree with me. And that's fine. But I feel like as soon as you, like, say, like, I'm going to make narrative fiction, suddenly 
you're beholden to a different level of standards than yeah. if you be like, this is just a doc. I mean, I just shot a documentary like as best I could of the thing that I care about. You know what I mean? Like, I to me, those like it's a weird difference, and it might only be in my head, and probably is only in my head. But like, like as soon as you're gonna ask people to ask people to act, then it's beholden on you to make sure that they're at least doing a half good job. Uh, which is, I don't know, my weird perspective on that. Yeah, uh, but as the front man of an avant-garde band, uh, yeah. I also understand the uh, the punk mentality, the DIY mentality of doing it just to do it and doing it for the sake of your own enjoyment. Not yeah, out and I of, get that too. Not I mean, out of any obligation to a theoretical audience, right? I mean, that's yeah, why no, we do I this totally too, right? <laughs> so, I, I definitely yeah. get that. I mean, and I, I do lots of stuff that is not is not, but like... You get into this weird space where, like, I, yes, I understand that as a concept, and I generally agree with it. I do lots of things for my own purposes that are just about me getting something I need to get done out. Right. Okay? They're like, this is a thing that I care about getting done, that I want to exist, and so I'm going to make it exist. I have no fundamental problem with that. The problem is, is then, like, now I'm watching this thing <laughs> in a fucking, like, in a collection called the Criterion Collection. Which, you know what I mean? Like, that's where it gets weird, right? Yeah. Like, now yeah. I'm doing... Now, even if you didn't intend it for that, and there's nothing wrong with not intending it for that, like, this this thing you made didn't stay on your bookshelf. Right. It exists in the world now, which means it, like, it belongs to everybody now. And look well, out. Everybody's a lot of people. I think that helps the fact that it happened in L.A., and, you know, the people that you're interact with in, interacting with here uh, go on to maybe not themselves be famous, but they've definitely got famous friends, right? Right. I mean, the the bands explicitly involved here, Flesh Eaters, Green on Red, uh, X, The Blasters, they are bands that existed for a long time and got international acclaim. You know, these are seminal punk bands, but they're not... They're not the Clash. They're not even Seminole L.A. You know, they're not Black Flag. They're not the right. Circle Jerks. Uh, you know, X certainly uh, is up there. But but other bands, if you're not, eh, there are there are bands in the L.A. punk scene where the average person on the street knows who they are, has heard of them. Yes. Black yeah. Flag. And then there are bands in the L.A. punk scene uh, where... Uh, Nobody's ever no heard one's of heard of them unless you're super into the scene, and some of those have Wikipedia pages and are featured in this movie, like the Flesh Eaters. Right. <laughs> right. I get that. I mean, I, yeah. I understand. I understand. We're all. I mean, I I just sort of, to a certain extent, want to be kind of like I don't know how to explain like where I'm coming from. Like, I don't want to be terrible about this. Like, I totally understand why I got made. I understand every. I like to think that I understand everything that that is a part of this because we all go through this. It's just weird to encounter what almost feels like somebody's like home project. Yeah. In the environment that I'm encountering this in now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That is a weird experience. So like yeah. it'd be like end. if like some of the garbage that's around my house that I have made, if like one day somebody's like puts it in essentially a museum and be like even I would be like, why the fuck did you do that? <laughs> right. right. Like, what that's, is wrong with you? That's another thing. One of the reasons this is interesting is as a snapshot of the DIY punk scene. But the DIY punk, DIY punk scene of any era in any place is inherently transient, right? It, right. Is, it is non-permanent. It is meant to just disappear in a wisp of smoke. That's that's how this stuff goes, and that's that's how you generally talk about it, right? So when you come back and you've got a film version of it, maybe it's just not interesting unless you lived there at the time. Right. And experienced right. Well, it, or at least experienced the people directly influenced by it. Right, and, and, and that for me, that's the difference between this and, and, a, and a documentary, is that a documentary has a, has a fundamentally core different 
purpose, yeah. which is to literally take a photo. Yeah, essentially, absolutely. And be like, look, I know that this you were not alive or we're not around for this, and I know that it may not, but I think that it has some intrinsic value that you should see. So yeah. here you go, and that's kind of what that is. Whereas by by making a narrative, it that transient nature becomes all the more obvious. I think is really what it comes down to. It's like, oh wow, this is it's not just a snapshot, it's like uh it's like um I, I can't even think of a thing. It's 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 'cause it, it it's somebody's cold food sitting in a microwave or something, almost. It, it, like which is a terrible description for anything, and I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> uh, like, but you know what I mean, right? It's like, oh, like this is hyper transient. It's just it's it it was gone by the time the movie was finished being printed. Probably, honestly speaking, you know what I mean. Like, given the nature of these kinds of scenes and everything like that, there's a solid chance that by the time they finish this, the thing it is about didn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah, which is wild and also delightful. Um. Yeah, it is to to kind of not give us the opposite of credit. Like a lot of this podcast is us talking about things that are fundamentally outside of our realm of understanding, <laughs> right? Like I mean, because if nothing else, because we didn't exist in that time and in that place. Like that right, and that's and that's one thing about Border Radio explicitly. The, we are not into the scene. Period. Right. You and I are not into the history right. of punk. Uh, right. Even even the people we personally know who are into the history of punk aren't into the minutia of the LA punk scene. Like inviting Donovan to watch this with us would have would have done nothing for us, right? right. It would have been worse than worse than when we invited it him to watch. It probably would have been worse, actually. So, yeah, we're probably better off with my totally ignorant ass <laughs> right. than anything else, right? Right. right. Uh, so you know, um, and nothing against Donovan. It's just also outside his wheelhouse. So you know, but but is adjacent enough to his wheelhouse that it it could have actually compounded things rather than. Yeah. I mean, honestly speaking, like, because, like, knowing a lot about a thing that is very similar to the thing you're watching or talking about, but it's not the thing you're watching or talking about is is in itself very kind of almost dangerous, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also just... What I'm saying is that my ignorance is my power, okay? <laughs> I'm a white dude. This is This is fundamentally true all right that's fair uh one thing um you know we started talking about the plot earlier and i think i think another thing that loses this is just how the plot doesn't really resolve but just goes away oh, uh yeah. oh yeah well like, that's what i'm talking about is i like i i've picked my hill and i'm gonna die on it why not just make it actually take four years yeah or they could. Why not just have Jeff come back four years later and be like, oh, everything's different here. <laughs> like, or... Which is like, also like encapsulates a whole concept of the punk scene, right? Where you're like, oh shit, like this all <laughs> changed completely in the four right. years I was gone. Right. Oh or even more head on uh, attacking the politics of the scene. Like these guys stole money from a promoter. Because they were promised the money and it wasn't paid to them, or because they're just stealing it from the promoter. And in either case, what does that mean for their prospects of ever playing anywhere again? Right. Uh, and right. and if the latter, if it was money they were promised, what does that mean for that club and that promoter? And why is he able to get away with that? Uh, you know, you hint at some of these things that we really ought to. It would be more interesting, uh, both narratively and as a talk about the scene, to get into. Because it hints at problems in the scene. It hints at corruption among the promoters, right? Uh, right. But this movie is not meant to be critical of the scene. And also maybe not critical of any individual promoter. So, in fact, the most it yeah, gets... Well, and that yeah, critical of anyone is maybe the scenester girl. So, and that's also just a joke too, right? I don't know. Yeah, maybe I mean, and that and that is that in of itself is a weird thing, right? Because it's like I'm going to make this movie that ostensibly is about this scene that I'm a part of, but I'm also not going to take it and make it critical. Is is so? It's more of almost a love letter 
in that in that respect. Yeah, that but sense. it's also not really a love letter either, right? So no, and that's what I'm saying is like yeah. I don't understand. I getting down to really down to brass tacks. I don't actually understand what this movie is supposed to be. Yeah, and that and, is, that, and, that, that's, and that makes me really sad. That's really what our problem because is. like right, and and that makes me really sad whenever that happens because. I feel like that's that's a fault in me, not in the movie. They're like, there's a thing here, and I don't know what it's supposed to be. And because I don't know, I I my natural inclination is to sort of pan it, and I could just be straight up wrong. Like you know what I mean? Like it's it's within the realm of possibility, certainly given my track record, that I could just be straight up wrong. Yeah. Like and just have no fucking clue what's going on. Have no idea what I'm talking about. We're actually looking at like perfect beautiful art that i just don't understand but again i live in that fear pretty much every time we do this podcast <laughs> so and it's fair. you know right right i mean there's no there's no movie we've watched where we have any sort of complete understanding of the culture that it came I, out of so. no no it just doesn't exist i mean we've been closer or further away at certain yeah. times i mean there are certain ones that are more or less in our wheelhouse, right? Like, uh, you know, this is this one is just so far out of my wheelhouse that I'm just like, just taking shots in the dark, basically, based just on sort of gut reactions to what happened. But then again, that's kind of what this podcast is. So, you know, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to make of it. That's true. No, I mean, and, and, and yeah, and I, it's just, you know, it, it clearly wasn't made for mass, not really for mass consumption. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. And and my guess is for the people of the time and place that this was made, it is fucking perfect. Right, right. Or, and that's, or, and that's or, the thing. Or very close to, to being perfect. To sort of bring this full circle, you know, we talked about the confusion among people over this last week at the announcement that a Godzilla box set will be the thousandth Criterion oh, release, yeah, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think looking at Border Radio, even having watched Border Radio, you and I are just still confused as to why it's here. But yeah, we can, that's true. We can and at then, least see yeah. the other things Criterion has put in that are sort of peripherally related to this. And I, I'm not... I don't think Border Radio shouldn't be in the Criterion Collection, but only because I've watched now 370 films in the Criterion yeah, I, Collection. Yeah, I, I, I no and longer I believe that, that anything criteria, should not be. Right, yeah. right. There's, yeah. there's no criteria for the Criterion Collection. Yes, exactly. There's no discernible very true, very true. reasoning for anything. So why shouldn't Godzilla be in it? Even if Godzilla were just a monster movie, it's still more influential than Armageddon. It's still a better movie than Flesh for Frankenstein. It's a better movie than I disagree Border with Radio. That wholeheartedly. You do not <laughs> Flesh disagree for Frankenstein with that. is fucking amazing. <laughs> All right, it's I have better a movie weird than nostalgia Blood for, for Flesh for Frankenstein. Okay? Yeah. Okay. That I will. That, right. that I will get on board with that. Yes, absolutely. Flesh for Frankenstein is a weird masterpiece. <laughs> And it, 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 it carved out a very odd space in my heart. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah. Anyway. It happens sometimes. We watch movies that sometimes when I'm watching them, I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> right, Why are we watching right. this? And then like a year later, I'm like, that was fucking amazing. And, and maybe a year from I now, Border Radio will have that same Absolutely. place. Absolutely. It's 100% within the realm of possibility. Yeah. In, in two years, we'll have a conversation. I'll be like, you'll be like, oh, well, you know, then there was Border Radio, which wasn't, but, or, or I'll say the other, or I'll say it, and you'll be like, you shut your mouth. <laughs> you shut your filthy mouth. Border Radio was fucking amazing. Yeah. It, it's it's within the realm of possibility that, that will yeah. happen. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll be thinking about this movie, and then suddenly one of us will decide it's the best movie we've ever seen. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it has absolutely happened before, and it will absolutely happen again. Right, right. Uh, until then, I'm just confused by it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I really... I. I don't know that I have anything else to say about this. No, me neither. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm satisfied with how this is. I'm not. I, I'm satisfied that you and I got to a point where we're like, okay, no, 
We don't understand it, but somebody fucking sure as shit does. There's one other praise of a disconnected thing that really has no point in the rest of the narrative that I really, really love in this movie. Uh, It's a piece of cinematography, too. The overhead shot of the car doing donuts in a cul-de-sac is just a delightful picture. Uh, And if if it itself were a short film... Uh, I would at least understand. (laughs) I think I would inherently get a meaning out of a car doing, driving in circles in a suburban cul-de-sac in L.A. Yeah, I can get on board with that. (laughs) More so than I get from from border radio in general. That inherently connects to our experiences with life. Right, right. Driving in circles in a suburb, absolutely, yes. (laughs) You'd think, think, given my other projects, that... uh, Life in the DIY music scene would also make sense. But honestly, the people I know in that scene, in the places I've lived, do remind me of the people in Border Radio. I think it's true to life. And I don't really like being around them. So, Well, I mean, that's the other thing, right? It's like, yeah, this is true to life. And these people are bad people. Right. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. No, people who do things that. that don't really make sense because they are constantly performing a character uh people who uh spend all of their money on booze and then wonder why they can't get out of the hole they're in uh you know there's a lot yeah these are people we know these are definitely people we know yeah and people who are very very talented who have mental health or substance abuse issues that keep them from uh from breaking out and doing doing more than they are these are all people we know. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And we know pr- plenty of well-adjusted people who are also highly talented, who also you can't break be. out no, because, yeah, no, that's because of the nature of the, <laughs> the nature of the industry. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to paint everyone, every musician that you and I know as, as some sort of, uh, <laughs> right, yeah, like uh, all the musicians we know are broken assholes. Yeah, yeah. Hello. Welcome to our podcast. No, plenty of them aren't. Uh, but I know, and and you know, there are people in this movie who also aren't right. <laughs> you know, it's just those characters aren't the ones who are memorable, right? Uh, well-adjusted right. people don't make a lot of uh, a lot of imprints on a on a narrative film. As it turns out, you need some sort of conflict, yeah. Uh, which is maybe something this movie's lacking too. <laughs> the conflict just kind of dissolves at the end, so. Well, yeah, I mean that uh, that is that is actually a really big part of it, and 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 I think a really important thing is that like w- a lot of what bothers us is that we we've watched a lot of movies for this, and like we have expectations, certain expectations, and whether those are right or wrong, you start to imagine that certain things will happen in movies, and yeah. when they don't, you're like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> what just happened? Uh hey, speaking of uh, speaking of expectations being pulled out from under you about what should be in a movie. Uh, we've got a Robert yeah. Bresson film next week. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, next week we'll be talking about 1967's Mouchette uh, from Robert Bresson. Robert Bresson. I always put the, I always pronounce the T, even though it's French. I've been doing that since we watched our first eh, Robert Bresson film. Fine. So I'm not super concerned about it. Uh but with that, I think we can draw this one to a close. This week we've been talking about Border Radio from 1987, uh, co-direction by Allison Anders, Dean Lent, and Kurt Voss. Uh, like we just said, I think I think with some distance we might think this is brilliant, but inside it right now, uh, it's just confusing and kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Gorgon and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.BandCamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. It's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it.